This is AgriPulse Open Mic, brought to you by Charleston Orwig. Transparency, sustainability, engagement, technology, privacy. It's a crowded landscape out there. Explore the conversations on Reputation Forward, a Charleston Orwig blog about protecting and elevating your reputation at reputationforward.com. And now, AgriPulse Open Mic. Well, Mr. Glickman, we've uh, called you many different titles in the years we've known you, but for AgriPulse Open Mic, for Sarah Wyatt and myself, we want to welcome you. Thank you, and I'm a great reader of AgriPulse and and uh, find it to be one of the best things on food and agriculture, anything I read. Well, we'd like to ask you some questions about uh, policy primarily, and that right now we do not have a farm bill, and we've had a great deal of uh, consternation in Congress. You are of that body and removed now from that body. How do you look at the mess that resulted in us not getting a farm bill? You know, it's extraordinary. Agriculture has been one of the few things that has a strong bipartisan history. It's, it's, it transcends partisanship historically. It's been more regional, crop-specific, specific, and people have always pretty much been able to get their act together and work things out. And I, I frankly have been surprised. I thought it would have been worked out. And the U.S. Senate passed a farm bill with a bipartisan leadership. My friend Pat Roberts and Debbie Stabenow worked together. They got the whole Senate to approve this. The House Agriculture Committee had a bipartisan bill that got out of the committee with Frank Lucas and Colin Peterson, again bipartisan. But there were a group of House members, most of Republicans, who decided they didn't want the bill to pass. And so we kind of didn't get it, um, you know, on the schedule. And now we were left in limbo. And I, I'm very surprised by this because it reflects a marked change from the history of getting farm legislation passed. Um, and, I, and, I, and I don't think this is good for the long-term future of farm legislation. How much of the logjam that we're seeing is due to the fact that we've got a lot fewer blue dog members of Congress and fewer folks who are willing to meet in the middle to get things done? I, I do think that uh, uh, there are far fewer members of either party that are in the middle, but the blue dogs did perform this function of being a bridge, the blue dog Democrats bridge between the Democrats and Republicans. Um, uh, we also have other problems. We have these terrible fiscal problems in America. We have the budget problems, and farm bills are expensive, more expensive than they have been in years past in many respects. And so that's created further problems in terms of a Congress has to deal with this budget deficit, which is gigantic. But notwithstanding that, the farm economy is in part dependent upon farm legislation. And uh, we have high prices now, and, but we won't forever. And you need farm legislation to deal with those vagaries of, of markets and weather and all kinds of things. And so they better get this done in the lame duck session, either a bill or a reasonable extension, or else there's going to be a huge amount of anxiety and dislocation out there in rural America. Do you think it's time to separate food stamps from farm legislation? I don't, because I think if you do that, then you will have such a small percentage of the Congress representing farm and rural areas, that you'll get a farm bill passed, but it would be a, a shell of its current level because the coalitions that have developed over the years that Bob Dole and George McGovern had to bring food and farm issues together have been in large part responsible 
for the health of both farm as well as nutrition legislation. So I think if we split them off, then it will probably mean the end of farm bills as we know them. You've been very active on nutrition and uh, obesity issues. We've got a new set of guidelines for school lunches right now that are generating a lot of buzz, especially in your home state of Kansas. Give us your perception on whether or not those are actually headed in the right direction or perhaps there should be more flexibility in the calorie guidelines that have been established for school lunches. Well, in talking with some school districts, they tell me that this, that school districts do have flexibility on, on the lunches. But let's talk about the basic problem here. The basic problem is obesity is a massive, massive health-related concern. It's a primary cause of diabetes, heart disease, and cancer. And uh, obesity starts at a young age. And over the years, our school meals were very heavily loaded with carbohydrates and fats and starches. So, you know, the goal is to try to get healthier meals in the school programs. It gets people eating better at a younger ages. Now, d are the rules such that sometimes they can be implied inflexibly? I suppose so. And I hope that school districts use good judgment. And if there's a problem with them, then I think that USDA would probably go along to make sure that they were done fairly. But, but by and large, I think that they're in the right direction myself. Would you expand that out to our general populace of trying to get people to have more education on nutrition or make it to where that uh, some of the stores that people shop in have a selection of fruits and vegetables where they don't have them today? Yeah, I think that uh, uh, clearly there is much greater in interest by the American people in the food that they're eating. They want to know more about it, what's in it. The medical profession is telling people they can improve their lifestyle and they can improve their longevity dramatically by the by food and exercise, diet and exercise, and so, and education is the way to do this. Education at home, education in the schools, education in the workplace, and physical activity is also a big part of this issue. It's not just food, it's also physical activity, but I think as a country we're actually coming together now with a, a much better attitude on what we eat and how we exercise. As the former Secretary of Agriculture, your time in the department, you understand what happens during a presidential campaign and all the different things that are uh, highlighted, perhaps, during a, a campaign season. Uh, if President Obama is reelected, what kind of things do you think we might expect out of USDA? Well, you know, I, w I sometimes uh, am very jealous of Tom Vilsack because when I was at USDA, we had pork prices at 15 to 20 cents a pound, and we had, oh my God, everything was in the tank, <laughs> and I did my best under those circumstances. I remember President Clinton once calling me, I was on the golf course, and he says, what are we going to do to deal with these pork prices? And then we proceeded to talk about golf as well as pork prices. But, but so now we're dealing with the, the, Tom Vilsack and, and this administration have the strongest farm prices in history, the highest exports in history, uh, the highest cash income in history. So all these facts are like unequaled. They haven't had them in a long time. So now whether they're responsible for all these things, I can't tell you that. The marketplace has a lot to do with it. But I will tell you that uh, Vilsack and Obama have facilitated the biofuels movement in this country. And there's no question the fact that 40% of our corn is grown for biofuels has impacted the price of almost every farm commodity, which is up much stronger than it is before. So, you know, my guess is, is that you probably um, would continue to see a government that would focus on exports and biofuels. 
But a lot of this depends on whether the President and Congress can work out a budget deal that makes sense. I mean, agriculture is as dependent upon the fiscal situation of the country as anything else that we do. And our hope is after this election, assuming President Obama wins the election, that there is a there is a budget deal made which brings the parties together and tries to get this country on the right fiscal footing in the years to come. In the years ahead, you were speaking of the budget issues. Is there a prospect that the USDA will have to trim itself down by 8 to 20 percent? And after running that department, is it possible to do so? It is possible to do so, but it's not easy to do so. Because, But, but there are certain things I wouldn't cut down. And th- again, I have to tell you, I've been very, very positive on how Secretary Vilsack has run the department, focusing on research. Uh, that's one area I would not want to cut 8 to 12 percent. I mean, we have these massive problems of feeding the world and increasing production and increasing yields and, and doing those things that you need an amply funded research department on. And, and I, you know, I think that that's something that's going to still have to be funded. But it's clear that our farm programs are coming down, our direct payments are coming down, although crop insurance this year looks like it's going to cost us more than we had probably thought it was going to cost us before. But yeah, the Department of Agriculture is going to have to probably continue to trim itself, but hopefully it will happen in ways that will not impact the long-term productive nature of agriculture, which is really important for the future of, of farmers in this country. You know how difficult it is to do things like closing field offices or making structural changes in the way programs are delivered. But given the Internet and all the different electronic access that we have now, is it time to restructure the way that we deliver not only farm programs but other services from USDA? Well, it's probably time to redo how the government does all of its functions generally because you have a lot of different offices from the Social Security, the IRS, the veterans, and everything else. But but I would say this, that one thing I hear about farm programs is there are human beings there that deal with the issues. And and we we just don't want to have a telephone and an inanimate object coming from a from some social networking site telling people what to do. I know there's a bank called Ally Bank. It's advertising now that they have a person there to talk to you when you have a problem and not just a machine. And One of the great things about how USDA has operated its programs over the years is they've had human beings interfacing with farmers. And, and you know, while people have mixed views of government, most people think their government, as it relates to the administration of agriculture programs, is doing quite well. I want to finish with one question on rural economic development. USDA certainly has played a major role in that. Do you think the direction that the department has gone and the response they've gotten from rural America will serve our rural communities well in the near-term future? Well, you know, ultimately, historically, we have looked at rural development as a function of the farm programs. But that has just changed in a revolutionary way in the last 20 or 30 years. And and now with proper uh, communications technologies, medical technologies out in, in rural America, you can really have a strong economy and a lot going on beyond just the farm programs. So I, so I think that our efforts in rural electrification, uh, connectivity, those kinds of things that 
that have been going on started I mean, it was there when I was there, and certainly it's continued through both Democrat and Republican administrations, and the Vilsack administration has done a great job in this area of facilitating it, is very, very important to connect people so it doesn't matter where you live, you have a chance to participate in the American economy and do, and do well. And uh, so uh, you don't have to live in large urban areas to enjoy the fruits of the American economic success anymore. And, and that's why it's so important to keep some of these rural economic development programs thriving. And um, they'll probably be hit, be hit by some degree with the, the fiscal cuts, but we've got to also make sure that we don't throw out the baby with the bathwater as well. Well, on behalf of publisher Sarah Wyant, thank you very much for being our guest on Acropult's Open Mic. You're welcome. Anytime. That was former U.S. Secretary of Agriculture during the Clinton administration, Dan Glickman. That's AgriPulse Open Mic for this week, brought to you by Charleston Orwig. To learn more, go to reputationforward.com. I'm Ken Root.